Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Rolling Hills Men's Leadership Network. We're going to get started. Uh, this morning we have a uh, guest with us to talk about how to become better at sex. So I know you guys are real interested uh, in hearing what Barney Self has to say today. Barney is a licensed marital and family therapist. He's been in the Nashville community for 30 years. He's been employed by Lifeway in the past. He's been employed by Christian Counseling Services and currently is on staff with Forest Hills Baptist Church. Uh, Barney has been married for 40 years. We were just talking. He's got two adult children and seven grandchildren. Uh, so today we're going to talk about sex. I know you guys are all real interested. I kept thinking this morning about something interesting and funny to say and share with everybody. Um, and uh, I don't think I'm going to throw anybody under the bus. It's a shame that Scott Merriweather's not here uh, to help us uh, this morning. So uh, we've got... Oh, no, Merriweather is here. <laughs> We've got a couple ways that you can submit questions this morning. There's going to be a banner at the bottom. Uh, you can email, you can tweet them in, or you can do live chat. So we're going to have some questions here in about 30, 35 minutes um, if you guys have any questions for Barney or for Jeff today. So with that, please welcome Barney Self. Awesome. Well, good morning, guys. I'm excited about today, and uh, Barney, we're so glad you're here. You know, it's been said that men think about sex every seven seconds. Now, I don't know if, if it's that often, but I know it, for men, it's a lot, you know, right. and just especially in our society, it's always in our face, and, and uh, how to live that way as followers of Christ, how to live as believers, and in this kind of society that's all about sex. And so, we talk about it in every other facet of life, but we don't talk about it a whole lot in this kind of context, and so I'm really glad you're here. Tell us just a little bit about you, Barney. I've you a long time, and I'm so grateful for you. Well, I'm, uh, again, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Yeah. Um, on staff at Forest Hills, um, and I, I've loved working with couples uh, through the years, and one of the issues that very consistently comes up is the sex and sexuality issue. Yeah. For whatever reasons, it is uh, a topic that rises to the surface from time to time in, in the work that I do. So I enjoy doing that. Um, again, I do have a wife of 40 years and mm-hmm. uh, seven grandchildren, which are the love of my life, and uh, just absolutely delighted in that regard. So I'm glad my children have had sex, at least. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so it's delightful to be here this morning, Jeff, and, and to be able to, to, to share with you guys and those that are on the, uh, the far-flung reaches as well. Mm-hmm. We, as you counsel people and you talk to people, we all know that. I mean, sex for many guys, I mean, you're married or you're single. I mean, it's, it's big. You know, it's a big topic. And especially in the counseling world, I mean, you know, I meet with couples. I mean, that, that's always a subject that ends up coming up at some point. But talk about that. When you counsel with couples, why is sex so important in a marriage or in relationships? Right. Well, I think God designed sex to be yeah. uh, a central part of life. I think he designed it uh, with uh, joy and celebration in mm-hmm. mind. Uh, sadly, though, our culture flips that upside down, and it puts sex as the center of all the intimacy production component within life. That's where all the pressure comes from, wow. is if you've got the, a good sexual relationship, man, you're doing great in this relationship. If sex is flagging in some sort of way or there are difficulties, then your relationship is bad, and so therefore you're a loser. Mm. That's, that's a massive amount of pressure to put on something that God intended to be a celebration. Yeah. Uh, so I've tried to focus people on uh, a, a different directional path to enhance the sexual relationship, to put it in its more rightful place, if you will, so that you have um, the focus is on the intimacy in the relationship 
And then the sex flows out of that really nicely, I think. Uh, there are a couple of things I think that really generate that from my estimation of it. One is praying together. I think that's a fabulous way wow. for people to connect with one another uh, and to build intimacy. Uh, when you pray together and you talk about the things that are really going on in your world and talk about the things that are really troubling to you and you pray to, about the, to God about the things that are really troubling to your spouse, that builds a real bond, a connection, an intertwining of hearts that really uh, creates that place of intimacy in a very powerful and meaningful way. Uh, another thing that really generates intimacy and, uh, is, is, is conflict, which mm. may seem kind of odd. <laughs> but conflict, uh, most often in our culture, is avoided uh, so that um, it doesn't hinder the sexual relationship. Because mm. the thought is, if there's conflict, then sex is going to suffer. What comes about, really, is if there's conflict that's not resolved, sex is going to suffer. So I try to encourage people to learn uh, conflict resolution skills because when you build that place of resolution in the conflict and know how to do that, when you reach that point, whether it's you do it you know, your way or you do it Lisa's way or whether you split the difference in some form or fashion, when you reach that point, tension level drops, sense of security grows, trust is built, and intimacy is present. And from there, sex flows really nicely out of that spot. Wow. If you're trying to use sex to generate intimacy, it's going to break down because sooner or later, the unresolved conflict will come back and resurface and will be a wedge that will cause a, a division. And so I think God calls us to oneness and conflict resolution. And uh, also then both of those then build the place where uh, intimacy can really be played out in the sexual relationship in a very powerful, meaningful, and celebrative way rather than the pressurized way that our culture sets it in place. What you'll also see is that in our culture, there's a real press for people to live together before they get married. Mm -hmm. I view that uh, as, as being, uh, in fact, the, the uh, statistics that I've read and that have been done for premarital uh, couples is that they've lived together, the probabilities uh, of their having difficulties within the relationship are, are greatly enhanced. And here's where I think that comes about. Uh, it goes back to what I was just saying that what happens in that living together before you get married space mm -hmm. is nobody wants to do anything that's going to in, in, impede that next orgasmic encounter. And so you keep all the stuff swept under the rug and keep everything calm and you deny the truth of the fact that there are upsetting things in your world. And so those things grow and build and then people may very well conclude, okay, let's put gold rings on or platinum rings on and they enter into a marriage relationship <laughs> And then all those things all of a sudden bubble back up. And there they are wow. struggling with things that they've not dealt with. And what they'll also note is that change, sex changes from the premarital world into the marital world. Yeah. So I, I think our culture has really done us no service, and we have done ourselves no service in not talking about this issue within church life. Yeah. It is amazing how it kind of becomes the taboo issue. Mm -hmm. You know, we're willing to, in culture, movies, mm -hmm. I mean, every movie, you know, nowadays, every sitcom, mm -hmm. I mean, everything on TV, and yet when it comes to, you know, talking about within the church or within, a, you know, with other, you know, Christian brothers, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we joke about it, but we don't really talk about it. And I loved your insight about praying with our spouse, you know, right. that, that creates that intimacy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think so often, you know, we get busy and, and we're kind of running miles, 100 miles an hour, oh, we yeah. miss each mm -hmm. other. But just that simple time to pray mm -hmm. enhances that intimacy. I Absolutely. love that. Hey, I want to ask you this. Why is it that 
I mean, sex is such a big deal for guys. Right. But it's not so much for women, you know? I mean, it, it seems like, why, why is that? Well, I think we're wired differently. Uh, first of all, uh, we guys primarily uh, give and receive intimacy through the sexual expression. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way God has wired us. Mm-hmm. Now, our wives may very well view that as kind of us as being animalistic because we're always in heat, it seems, in, in their perspective. Uh, and we're always ready to go anytime. You know, I figure uh, if uh, ICBMs were coming in and we got the Connell Red warning, you know, we'd you know, I might be tempted to look at my watch and say to my wife, we have time for a sex one more time yeah. before the oblivion, you know, before we meet Jesus, you know. Um, so, how, you know, we're all, I'm ready to go. And she's going to look at me and go, how could you think about that at a time like this? Yeah. You know? So, uh, you know, they're, we're, they're wired very differently than we are. And their conduction point primarily is, and they receive and give intimacy through sharing, talking, hugging, and touching. And so if we're aware of that sharing and talking and hugging and touching element that's so desperately needed in their world for Mm -hmm. a real sense of connection, then it allows us to recognize what we need to do more of to be able to connect with them and invite them into the sexual relationship. Uh, Now, women are hardwired to be able to enjoy sex. God has created Mm -hmm. them to be able to enjoy sex. Now, there there are not many species on the planet where the the female of the organism uh, has the ability to, to have an orgasmic response and to enjoy sex. Women do. So mm-hmm. God has intended them to have um, an enjoyment in the sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we guys uh, view it very differently. It's very much a, um, an expression of our love for them and, and our acceptance of them. And they view um, the, the touching and the, the talking and the holding uh, as being our, uh, the expression that they need in order for intimacy to really be present. And so we're wired very differently. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's why, you know, very often, uh, you know, uh, men express um, their love in and through the, uh, the, the foreplay part of it to the woman. And the woman receives uh, a lot of the benefit from the afterglow talking because that's what really, really does help her to feel connected. So if, you know, we're involved in the talking and the touching part of it, that's going to enhance their capacity for that. But we're, we're just wired differently. Women are ramp up for the sexual encounter much more slowly than we do. We have a much quicker uh, trigger for the process. Um, you know, I, you know, we, in, within the sexual relationship itself and the intercourse moment itself, we ramp up very quickly and we're kind of um, done at a particular point there. And they're very often multi-orgasmic and can go for, you know, hours on end. And it's really kind of daunting for us because it's a kind of a threat in some respects. Can we really keep up with our wives' sexual capacities? And the answer is no, we can't. <laughs> so uh, we're trying to balance this here so that both persons' needs get met. Now, one of the things I want to put on the table is that um, there is always a high desire and a low desire party in, the, in each couple relationship. Now, That's that, a good insight. I mean, that, may, that, that may switch because mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there may come a point in there where it flip-flops. And just because uh, somebody uh, might be in a, in a high-desire relationship, uh, or excuse me, in a, in a relationship where they are the high-desire partner, they want sex more than their partner does, and they conclude, well, that's fine. I'm going to just divorce this person, and I'm going to remarry. They can divorce and remarry, and they may find themselves the low-desire partner in the next relationship because the other person has a, wow. a greater desire than they do. So it's not so much high desire or low desire because there's always going to be a disparity. The real question comes, what do you do with that difference? And that's where you've got to be able to talk about it. Mm. That's where you've got to be able to put the need on the table, 
not in a demanding, heavy-handed way, but that's where you put the need on the table with a dialogue of how can we best approach this particular need set. And most often, uh, we're going to meet somewhere in the middle there. Um, we're not going to exclude sex because the other person really is not interested, and we're not going to have sex every time um, the snap fingers are snapped. Uh, that's not going to work well either. So it's, it's coming together and partnering, partnering in deciding and defining what is going to be the best um, way for us to express our sexual relationship. That gets back to the conflict resolution stuff mm. and how important that is to be able to enter in so that there's a win-win, a both-end, and a grace-based reality to this whole process. I, I think that's powerful insight because we, we love our wives. You know, we all do. Oh, we we want to be great husbands and fathers and, or, you know, if you're single and you want to be married one day, you want to honor your wife. You want to love your wife. I love my wife so much. But a lot of times, this is one of those areas we don't talk about. You know, it's like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about kids. We'll talk about vacation. We'll talk about, you know, um, you know, money. We'll definitely talk about that. But, you know, when it comes to sex, it's kind of like, uh, we don't talk about it. But right. there is that intimacy that's created when you talk about, hey, this is the way it makes me feel, mm -hmm. or this is what I think, or what, what do you like? You know, right. I think oh, yeah. there's, that's Absolutely. important, you know? Well, dialogue is really important. When I'm working with premarital couples, and I love doing that process because very often they're coming from behind the goalpost. Right. Uh, as we were talking before, um, we got on camera, uh, you know, where did you learn about sex? Well, I learned it from the culture. Huh, great, there's a fabulous place to yeah. learn about sex and sexuality. And the culture I learned it from is rather tame in comparison to what the culture is now. And so if we, if we leave our children to learn about sex through the culture, they're going to learn all kinds of filth and, and hurtful, harmful stuff and not at all what God intended. So what we're trying to do here is to give them really healthy understanding of what sex and sexuality look like. And so I love working with premarital couples because it give gives me the opportunity to help them to learn how to dialogue about sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. There was an adage that came out of, I guess, the uh, early, late 60s, early 70s that said, you're responsible for your own orgasm. And what they were really getting at with that phrase is to say, if I'm not talking about what I need, and if I'm not getting it, then I'm probably not going to continue to not get it. So I mm -hmm. need to be able to put it on the table to say, that was wonderful. I love that. that. That touching point was really fabulous. I Do more of that, please. That was wonderful. Uh, or that's really off-putting. Please don't do that. You know, those kind of dialogical realities are very helpful and because this is a whole new learning experience, especially for premarital couples yeah. who have not had uh, any sexual encounter with each other. Yeah. Well, I get asked sometimes by... Uh, different guys, you know, do, do my wife and I, we, do we have less sex than other mm -hmm. couples, you know, right. and, and I think there's always this comparison mode out there, and maybe it's just because of what we see in society and on TV and everything else, but, but, but how, do you, how do you respond to that? Well, there's a lot of literature that's been written through the years, um, especially within um, the, the media, uh, cosmopolitan places like that will put out all kinds of uh, sex and sexuality articles, and a lot of it will have to do with frequency. Anytime you start getting into the realm of frequency, you're in deep water mm. because you're going to be comparing yourself to somebody else. And when you compare yourself to someone else, you can always find somebody that's having more sex than you are. And if you look closely, you can always find somebody that's having sex less than you are. But that doesn't really count. We, we just discount that. Um, we're looking for the more. And most often, when you, I hear that question, it's uh, from a spouse who's looking to try to leverage the other party into doing more and saying, look, we're not average. We're less than average, so therefore we need to ramp it up here and you need to get on the program here. Mm. It's, a, it's a power move. And so it, power and control relationships do not work. 
we're working on grace here. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the connection comes in. That's where the relationship comes in. That's where come let us reason together, saith the Lord, speak the truth and love comes in. That's where we engage one another in a loving, caring spirit to say, I really desperately have a need for more sex in, in our relationship. Help me understand how I can I best invite you into that process. Uh, and to be able to have a dialogue around that rather than it being some sort of, look, we're not having as much sex as the average people in this mm-hmm. 30 to 35 bracket that we live in. You know? So that, uh, any, just avoid, yeah. <laughs> please avoid those uh, kind of comparisons because nothing good comes from it. Right, right. And, and I think that's, you know, what I try to say, focus on your marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, you focus oh, yeah. on that Absolutely. relationship instead of listening to what everybody else is saying or what Absolutely. everybody's writing to try to sell magazines or or anything else. Uh, you know, it was interesting when I was single, I was, I remember being 23, I was in my first church and, uh, you know, I was talking to our young adults pastor one time and, and uh, this guy was probably early, you know, thirties, married and had a couple of kids. And so we're at lunch and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, John, man, it's hard being single. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's tough. And, you know, it's like, unbelievable you're, you're dating and stuff like that and he said well you think you're frustrated now just wait till you get married you know and I was like what you know and he's like oh yeah he goes you can go out a guy you can build a fence all day you can come home you're just dead tired sweaty but you're ready to go you know and your right. wife somebody could say one bad thing to her mm-hmm. and for two weeks you know you're not having any sex That's and right. you're like what you're telling me all this you know right. and so but you know what was helpful about that as crazy it was I still remember it Mm-hmm. And so there was this different expectation when I came into our marriage even, right. and just to say, I want to love my wife. Mm-hmm. I want to honor her. Right. And, you know, when I, when I heard him say that, I knew that there was about sex and intimacy, there was something more there for mm-hmm. women than it was for men. Right. And, and I think so often we just think women are wired the same way we are. They're like ready to go, ready to go. And yet when we honor them and we, we love them and we listen to them and we hold them, that's where that intimacy is created. Right. So I think, I think those things are important. Now, when you think about this, what do you do when we talk about this intimacy, what do you do outside of the bedroom that enhances what happens inside the bedroom? Well, as um, I've got, I brought a book with me because I really want to be able to promo this book because some of you may be aware of it or maybe you've gone through it. We just did a series, or I just led a series at our church for our men's ministry called Every, it's Every Man's Marriage. It's uh, um, Arter Byrne and Stoker are, are the um, proponents of it or the writers of it. Um, Stoke, uh, Arterburn was also the guy that wrote Every, Man, uh, Every Man's Battle, battle. Yeah. Uh, and, and really dealing with, uh, with the issue of sex and sexuality from a very pointed view. There's a lot of that in this book as well, but it's focused um, on uh, the concept of male submission in marriage, hmm. which is, uh, was really kind of a, a unique uh, perspective for me. We talk about women being in submission in marriage all the time from Ephesians 5, but uh, this concept was that they, they hammer on pretty uh, cl- hard and fast is around male submission. And the male submission is submitting ourselves to God. That's where the key wow. relationship is. Now, when we submit ourselves to God, uh, what is God's uh, goal for marriage relationship? Well, God's goal for marriage relationship is oneness. So how, if we're going to submit ourselves to God, then yeah. we need to be able to hold on to that heart of God for the oneness yeah. in the relationship. Love so it. that means that I'm going to need to attune very carefully to my wife. I'm going to need to attune to make sure I don't trample her spirit. I don't trample her essence. I don't take away her voice, that I edify her, that I am the um, 
Uh, I'm, I'm exper- she's experiencing a servant leader role from me, where I have the foot washing bowl and the towel at any point in time in our relationship where it's needed. Mm. With that kind of a, st- a stance in life and with that kind of attunement, it's very easy for her to follow through with the submission that, that, that Scripture requires of her. If my heart is one of, I'm the leader here, uh, kiss the ring, it's not going to be as, uh, as functional. It's not going to be as workable. One of the things that, that this book uh, pro- proposed, and I, and I found it very interesting, there was, um, uh, there's a, a Greek word for um, the head, kephale, uh, and I had always thought that, you know, we are the head of our wives and as Christ is the head of the church. I'd always seen that as being the governing component that we decide and we are the, you know, we're the one where the buck stops here. Uh, we're the one that makes that last decision. That kephale term in the first century, uh, the head was viewed uh, as the source of life. We see that with the ISIS videos where the head is severed mm. and life is no more. Uh, so they viewed the head as being the life-giving component. The decisions were made here. Wow, in the heart. And so when you, when you, sub- when you transfer that life-giving perspective into that verse, it reads that we are the life-givers for our wives as Christ is the life-giver for the church. Mm. That shifts it mightily. Yeah. So whatever I'm doing that is life-giving for my wife, whatever I'm doing that's life-giving for her, then enhances the opportunity for oneness. It enhances the opportunity for connection. It enhances the opportunity for growth and for intimacy and certainly for sex. Wow. So I think it goes back to our relationship with God. I think it goes back to our relationship with and understanding what male submission looks like in God's order for us to be submitted to him mm. and to be focused on what he wants, oneness for us as a couple. And so that I'm not heavy-handed in any sort of way or form or fashion in this relationship. That invites my wife into a much more celebrative stance yeah. and a much more relaxed place. Wow. So that would be my that's, response. That's, that's what strong. is important. Yeah, that's and that would good. certainly entail then the opportunity for more touching and talking yeah. and caring. Uh, it was interesting. I think it was either Arterburn or Stoker, I forget which now, because they interchanged their uh, perspective within the book. Uh, one of them decided that uh, because he understood his wife needed more dialogue, that he, pulled, he created a chair, and I could create a chair, he bought a chair and put it in his bedroom. And he put it beside the bed. And every night before he went to bed, he would sit in that chair as the talking chair and say to her, tell me what is really on your heart. Hmm. And would give her the opportunity to dialogue about what was really going on in her world that she needed to talk about. He created a a consistent space for that to happen. And it wasn't as a prelude to sex. It wasn't as an implied demand for sex. It was simply, I want to connect with you. Mm. And that communicated very clearly that he was very invested and attuned to her life and wanted the absolute best for her. Uh, that's exactly what God calls us to, I think, yeah. in being able to in, engender this connection. When we have that, then when we ask for, um, for sex in the relationship, it's much more likely going to be responded to in a positive way. Yeah. Mm. That's so strong. I, I think... So often, you know, guys, we're at work all day, you're interacting with other adults and everything, and, and, and you, you get home, you're worn out, you try to get stuff done, you know, your bill's paid, trash out, and everything done, and then, and then your wife wants to talk, and many times you're like, 
are you kidding? But, but she's either been home with the kids or she's had, you know, work and, and she doesn't have an outlet, you know, right. and, and guys, we're around a lot of people. And, and yet that becomes a time when you go, okay, do I engage or do I retreat? Mm-hmm. And that's where that relationship is built on right. those, those simple decisions. You know, I think the prayer, the talking, the intimacy, talk about this morning, because how does, how does pornography, because it's such a uh, it's so rampant in our society, right? And every guy, it, it's just a struggle, you know, because guys, we're visually stimulated and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could be doing great and then all of a sudden something pops up on your screen or, you know, there's a commercial mm-hmm. that comes on and next thing you know, your mind just triggers. And so right. how does pornography erode our capacity for intimacy? Well, it's, it's the blight on our culture. I'm convinced of it. I think it, uh, mm. it, when, you, when you go down the list and start looking at things that are really uh, horribly wrong within our culture, that tops the list for me. Wow. Uh, I, I heard one statistic, and this was years back, so I suspect it's even worse now, that pornography, uh, the, the, the amount of money spent on pornography uh, exceeded all of the revenues of all sports. Wow. Football, baseball, hockey, basketball, NASCAR. It just astounded me at that comparison. So it is a, it is a siren song uh, and that really calls uh, people to, uh, into um, a connection with it. Mm. Uh, it is uh, the focus on the sexual act versus on any intimacy. I view pornography, when people get hooked into it, I view it as an intimacy disorder. Wow. more than a, than a sexual uh, deviance. It's an intimacy disorder. People go into uh, the using their pornography because it's an easy fix uh, for a long-term problem. It's a mm-hmm. short-term fix for a long-term problem. What our hearts are craving are intimacy and connection. Pornography offers this uh, sort of uh, Krispy Kreme donut when your heart is really craving a meat and three. Yeah. And it, you know, if you've ever eaten a Krispy Kreme donut, uh, you know, 30 minutes later, you know, you get this sugar rush and it's a high associated with it and it drops you like a rock. Um, nothing, nothing to denigrate Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, I'm really. just saying Come that's physiologically, so. <laughs> that, that's how it works. <laughs> and, but, but what happens with the, the whole uh, pornography zone uh, is that it, it builds up this false illusion. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's nothing more than an illusion at, at the very best. And it's, it's false intimacy. Mm. It, 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 and what it does in its false intimacy component is it ends up then torpedoing true mm-hmm. intimacy. We, because it's always easier to do the false intimacy thing than it is. It's much easier to pull up a screen on the computer than it is to go sit by the bed and talk with your wife. Yeah. It's much easier to uh, run the risk of being turned down by your wife when the, the computer is always going to be there with the, the ones who uh, are always glad to see you yeah. uh, because of the money you're paying or, if nothing else, uh, the fact that you've clicked on their little site and now they're going to get more money from their advertisers. Mm-hmm. And so it's all based on uh, the power and control thing again versus the relational connection point. When you start um, looking at what it does within the couple relationship, it diminishes trust. Mm-hmm. Because whenever there's a knowledge that this is going on, the, the wife is always concerned about, in fact, every time that pornography has ever come up in my counseling practice through the 30 years that I've been about it, the first question that comes from the wife is, why am I not enough? Mm. And she always concludes, I'm not sexually attractive enough, I'm not tall enough, my legs are not long enough, my breasts are not big enough, my hair's not blonde enough, my eyes are not blue enough, it's something wrong with me. Mm. And, and you know, the guys would quickly say, oh, it's not about that, it's not about that. Well, it is in their world. 
And that's how they perceive it, and it does damage to their very hearts. And so it creates diminished trust in the, in the couple relationship wow. when that occurs. Uh, it creates an abandonment of hope for sexual monogamy, where you can conclude, oh, well, it's just unattainable. We, we, you know, there's, there's always going to be the, the other woman on the screen, or there's always going to be the threat of the other woman um, that, uh, where there's an encounter at work or whatever. This, this uh, creates an uncertainty and a fear element that, that in, pervades the relational life then. Uh, it creates the belief that uh, pr- promiscuity is the natural state. That's what our world would teach us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know it's, that's natural. Anytime you hear uh, pornography mentioned on, a, say, something like uh, one of the uh, nighttime talk shows, uh, you'll hear people applaud. Why are people applauding pornography? Mm-hmm. It's because they're involved in it and they're wanting to normalize it. And so it, 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 the, our society tr- treats it as a natural state. Oh, yeah. sure. You know, you, you're not uh, get, getting enough sex in the bedroom? Fine. There's always the glowing screen. You can masturbate anytime you want to. Mm. It's easy. Um, porn creates desperation and it creates doubt on both, in both cases. Um, it's an addictive substance. Now, this is really interesting. You may not have thought about it this way before, but let me give you a little I- idea from my weird uh, stance as a marriage and family therapist. When a man is viewing pornography uh, online, um, it creates a dopamine response. It also uh, releases opiates, especially when uh, there's orgasm involved with a masturbation. That's uh, a chemical response that feels really great. It's the same chemical response that you have when you are dealing with your relationship with your wife. But it's just the glowing screen. So what happens then is, on the backside of that for us as believers, is we feel really bad because now we're disconnected from God wow. because sin does that. It disconnects us from God. And then beyond that, we recognize that was wrong and that's hurtful and we feel shame associated with that. Now, from my estimation, you're the theological person in the room here that I would trust most often. Um, from my perspective on it, shame is always Satan-driven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And guilt is always God-driven. Mm. Guilt causes, calls us to relationship with him and to repair that relationship, 1 John 1, 9-like. So it creates a sense of oneness again. It creates a sense of connection again. And, okay, we're we're good with God again. But we still have the shame. Why? Because Satan reminds us, oh, remember what you did. Hmm. And so then that creates pain for us, and we need another round of anesthetic, which means we go back and look at the screen one more time, and then we feel bad, and it creates this circular circular Hmm. pattern of the addictive cycle. We're addicted to our own body chemistry. Wow. In, that, in that zone. And so it's, it's a chemical addiction issue. It's just not an exterior chemical that we're putting into our bodies. It's uh, misusing the body chemistry that God has given us. Wow. That's powerful. So how do we protect, I mean, for guys, how do we protect ourselves, not only from pornography, but from, from affairs? And, uh, you know, it just seems to be so pervasive. How, how, how do you right. recommend? Because, I, I mean, I've seen, you know, the top three causes of divorce are problems over religion, you know, mm-hmm. we're all seeking the Lord, so sure. there are problems over sex mm-hmm. and then problems over money, you know, right. so, but, you, you know, I mean, when I counsel with people, you counsel mm-hmm. people, those are always things that, right. that come up. So how do we protect ourselves in the marriage relationship? Well, I mean, Solomon said, above all, guard your heart. Guard your heart. And so uh, also, I guess it was uh, in, in scripture where it talks about, I made a covenant with my eyes. I believe that was, was it? Yeah, Job. Job. Yeah. yeah. And so there is a, uh, you know, covenant eyes is, is one, of the, uh, one of the ways to approach it from, you know, using, you know, these little devices. In fact, most, most of the photography now is viewed here, not right. on 
your iPad or on, on the computer, and most of it's viewed on the phone. So Covenant Eyes is something you can put on your electronic devices that mm. can help you to fight that fight and remind you and block those things that would um, uh, potentially be harmful or hurtful to you. But I think it's just a recognition of the covenant relationship that's there. There are two covenants that are critical in our world for us. One is with God mm-hmm. in the salvation relationship. And the other is with our wives. That's the only two covenant relationships that we experience in life. And there's a triangle associated with that. So right. we need to recognize that that is in place and that, you know, that this is a critical component of life. We don't want to mess with that covenant. Mm-hmm. And so anything that causes that covenant to be... Um, uh, d- diminished in any form or fashion uh, certainly diminishes our relationship with God and hurts. So we want to just, get, there's a commitment to not allow that. Now, just some technical things that would be or helpful, I think. Never discuss with your, your difficulties in marriage with a female coworker or friends. Mm. Uh, you just don't go there. Uh, you can discuss those things with your, uh, with your male friends. You can discuss those with uh, parents or with mentors that you trust of the uh, same gender but not of the opposite sex because it opens the doorway there because there are uh, women who are uh, equally as needy of uh, intimacy and connection as we are. And if their need and our need collide, there's where the problems come. Uh, yeah. So never be alone with a female. Um, that would include uh, dinner, uh, lunch, car rides, trips, or events. I know when I was at Lifeway, they were uh, in the history of Lifeway, there were some times where they, had, um, a man and a woman had gone out on trips and there had been problems coming from, from that. So uh, you, you simply don't ever put yourself in that position where that's the case. Now, if you do have a coworker that you're going to lunch with, it's important, I think, to call your wife and say, just want you to know I'm going to be going to, to lunch with um, this person, and um, I'm going to do my best to try to take a coworker with me, but if I'm not able to, I want you to know where I'm going to be, what we're going to be talking about, and I'm delighted to talk with you about that discussion when I get home. Wow. Uh, and so yeah. that's it's very important. It's also, I think, very important to be able to, uh, to be aware of your own heart. Mm-hmm. I know when I was in seminary, I found myself in the workplace where I was attracted to a girl that I worked with. Didn't want to be, but it was there. I told my wife, I'm really feeling attracted to this woman. I don't want to please uh, help me with questioning me where I am with that. So every day when I would come home from work, she would ask me, so was Pam on your shift today? And I would say, yes, she was. And she, she would then say, so where are your feelings in that regard? And I said, <clears throat> they've gone, which was interesting because it's a light-dark issue in Scripture. Mm. If it's in the light, it has no power. If it's in the dark, it can grow and metastasize and control life. So being honest and direct with the struggle that's there is very important because we can partner in being able to deal with it. Mm. Um, And avoid fantasizing, certainly. And when women are kind or thoughtful or affectionate, you got to be red flagged in the signal here because there's potentially uh, something uh, going, going on there or could be going on. And you don't want anything to happen there, so you don't want to give any, any false cues of right. response to that. You want to be kind, you want to be uh, gener- generous, and at the same time, you don't want to respond. If you're approached directly by a woman in your arena, run, <laughs> just like yeah. Joseph did. Um, like you Paul wanna, says, flee. Uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah. so stated differently, draw firm boundaries. Uh, yeah. No, that's not something that I'm, I'm really comfortable talking about. And then avoid the lure of Facebook. Um, I had one of my uh, cohorts at, at Forest Hills uh, a woman read over my notes to make sure that I was going to present the best uh, balanced approach for you guys today. And um, uh, that was uh, one of her responses. Uh, several of her um, friends have gotten caught up with old girlfriends on Facebook mm-hmm. and they have reconnected. 
and with that reconnection, because there was a physical relationship before, it was easy to reestablish it wow. in the present. So, uh, again, guard your heart, especially. Um, and and the, probably the most important thing, if you don't come away with anything else from today, guys, uh, the, co- the goal here is be direct, be direct, and when in doubt, be direct with your wife. Be honest with yourself, be direct with your wife, and bring it all before God. That's kind of the, uh, the component of that. And it's going to take care of a lot of the relational glitches in your relationship if you will be honest and open and direct in the most loving kind of way. Man, that's good. So if, if you were to sum it up, you know, what does is, what is a healthy, great sex life look like in a marriage? What, if you were to kind of give us kind of some takeaways. Well, I think a great sex life is one that really meets the needs of both the husband and the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not perfectly for either one, but it's what we decide is uh, what we want to do and what meets our needs right now. Now, the problem with that <laughs> is that right now uh, changes. Yeah. Children come into the play. <laughs> um, stressors come into, into play. Health issues can come into the play here and can create uh, difficulties in that regard. And so what we're trying to do is to make sure that people are uh, attuned to each other and they're really focused on trying to create our best sex life rather than what I want. Mm. If I'm attuned to, again, oneness again, and how can uh, we enhance our sex life in the best possible way, it works so much better that way. So that would be what I would define it as being uh, a, a relationship where the husband and the wife are freely able to talk about their sexual needs, desires, wants, and wishes, uh, and where they are at a particular point in time and whether or not those are being met. Wow, that's good. That's good. I, I, that's so powerful for us to talk with our mm-hmm. wives, you know. And, oh, it is. Yeah. 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 So. It honors God for us to do that, and it blesses them big yeah. time. It's great. Great. Well, Barney, Jeff, this has been great. We've got a couple of questions that have come in as you guys have been sharing with us. Uh, the first one is, what do we do if the pleasure of sex is hindered by the pleasure of infertility? Well, infertility is really, really a powerful and hurtful thing yeah. uh, in couple relationships. I mean, you see it played throughout Scripture with a desire of women's hearts to be able to have a child. Uh, and so for us as husbands, when, we, when we're looking at our wives and dealing with that particular issue, we've, we've got to, uh, again, be very sensitive uh, and very gentle and very attuned to the fact that this is a deep-hearted issue for yeah. them and have compassion for them in that regard. Now, what that likely is going to mean in the infertility zone uh, is that, is that they're, with the press for having a child, basal thermometers are going to come into play, ovulation cycles are going to come into play, and yet it becomes way more mechanical, mm-hmm. uh, or can be. And so uh, at some point, I've known couples, uh, in the, even in that space, to say, we're going to take a season here of uh, a month or a period of time and just put all that away and just enjoy the sexual relationship and relax. Uh, now, that's going to only be the case and available for a woman if she, uh, is, again, is feeling supported by her husband, that she's feeling like this is just a, a pause rather than, okay, we're giving up. Um, but really attuning to the both end of the need for the ch- to, to produce the child as well as the desire for just the celebration of the intimacy in the relationship. And I think you'd talk about that too. Yeah. That yeah. This, it just has, this has become kind of mechanical. Mm-hmm. I know there was a point in time where my wife and I were uh, trying to have our first child and it was not working well, we, yeah. or, or so we thought. And um, uh, it, was, it was hard and yeah. it was difficult and it did become mechanical. But we, uh, we talked about that and we tried to find ways in there to enhance uh, the sexual relationship uh, in ways that would take away that, that pressure. Mm-hmm. 
I think yeah, I agree. I think talking about it mm-hmm. is the big deal, you right. know, because that is such a, a, a it's a woman's heart, mm-hmm. you know, it is. and and you see that once women have. Uh, kids, you know, you're kind of feeling like, hey, what about me? You know, right. sometimes. And, right. and you have to talk about that too mm-hmm. with, exactly. with, with your spouse and say, you know, hey, mm-hmm. I still want time with you. I still want us to, to laugh and sure. play. And, and, uh, and those are big deals, you know, they just are. like because men take off and we go after our career and the, the wife's sitting back going, what happened to me? And then a lot of times when you have kids, the wife goes off with the kids. And so the being direct, mm-hmm. the praying together, I think those things that you, you came back and said, and understanding their heart. I think that's right. so good. Yeah, strong. Is there another question? Yeah, we've got time for one more if we do it quickly. Um, what age should I start teaching my kids about sex, and do you recommend any resources? Well, there's some fabulous resources out there. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I would certainly say with the Christian uh, websites for those. Um, uh, as far as age goes, I mean, you start, you start talking about... Um, uh, you certainly want to start talking about sex and sexuality for, for kids, especially if you've got girl children as they're approaching menses. I mean, that's going to be a really important time for them to understand what's going on with their body. Um, but you want to try to help them to uh, learn about sex and sexuality as a natural part of life. That, uh, that's what loving couples do in marriage. Mm-hmm. And to, to understand the, the role that it plays. And the age, it will vary from child to child, I think. I don't, I don't know if there's any... A statement of a specific age that you can pull because some children are going to be way um, more advanced uh, both intellectually and emotionally to be able to handle that than others. So I think you kind of have to listen to their um, questions sometimes. I know uh, there, there were some uh, books that we used for our children um, that were very helpful. They looked at various uh, other uh, organisms that uh, you know, had babies and how, what sex was about. And um, I, I know our daughter, as we sat down on the couch, our son decided he wanted to join us for that, uh, that discussion around the sex and sexuality issue. And as we were flipping the pages of the book, then we went through the, um, you know, the chicken and the various uh, other uh, animals. And he wanted to flip to the back and get to the, uh, to the people part. You know? And, and so, <laughs> so some, some children are more uh, ready for that uh, information than others are. But uh, I think you, you, you simply want to make sure it does come about. Certainly after the age of, of um, uh, eight or nine, you're going to yeah. want to start dialoguing about that in, in basic terms. And then as, as time goes on, as you get more toward the, um, the tween years and the adolescent years, you certainly want to have a much more involved dialogue about mm-hmm. that because that's critical information. If you don't provide it, they'll get it from the culture. Uh, I was going to say. And, uh, that's, as a parent, that's our, yeah. we've got to step into that. And a lot of times we back mm-hmm. off. But they're hearing it at school, you right. know, and they're going to learn about it there. Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to step in and walk with your kids through that. And right. so scheduling time, you know, with your children mm-hmm. to talk about that, I think is huge. Right. Yeah. Barney, this has been great. You, thank you so much. Oh, I mean, absolutely. you know, this is one of those topics that kind of seems like taboo, but we all want to have great marriages. We mm-hmm. all want to love our wives and honor our wives and mm-hmm. talk about that covenant relation with God and then with our spouse. And so thank you mm-hmm. so much oh, for being absolutely. here. And we just really appreciate it. Guys, let me pray for us right now. And, uh, and I'll close out of time. Father, thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for just challenging us, God, in this area. And Father, the world, it bombards us, Father, about what is sex and what does that look like and what should it be in our marriage. But Father, we want to look to you. And Father, we want our, we want our, 
our focus to be on you. I pray, God, that you would break down the stronghold of pornography in, in any man's life that's listening to this right now. I pray, Father, that um, you would give us the courage to get help, to talk to somebody, Father. I, I pray, God, for our marriages, that they would be strong, that they'd be deep, and that, God, we would have marriages that last like Barney and Kathy for 40 years, God, and, and children and grandchildren, Father. And it, I just pray, Father, that we would do this right and well. And so, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for um, the gift of sex because we know it's from you and that, God, it's something that just enhances our marriage. And we pray, Father, that we could honor our spouse and that we could honor you. God, we love you so much. Thanks for our time this morning at this men's leadership time. And God, we just give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Great. Thank you, Jeff and Barney. Uh, next week, you don't want to miss. We're going to start 630 breakfast. We'll get kicked off at seven. We're going to be talking about having a balanced perspective on sports. And we're going to hear from Darren Clark, a member of Rolling Hills, who five years ago started the Father-Son Bowl with 15 dads and sons, and it's grown to 1,200 dads and sons in five years. So we're going to be talking about sports, how to maintain a healthy balance there. So we'll see you next week. Uh, thanks for coming this week.